Hi, thanks so much for listening to today's episode of Talking Studio. This new voice coming to you is me, Emma Skidmore, and I'll be your guest host today. I'll be taking you through the many chapters of Ohio University's Tantrum Theater, and we'll explore its past, its present, and its future. I was inspired to tell this story because I am someone who has always had an appreciation for the theater and performance art, but it occurred to me that I didn't even know the mission of my own university's theater program or who was involved with it or how it came to be. And as I learned more and more about Tantrum, It struck me how unique their story was and how many characters had a hand in making this work. So let's jump right in to chapter one. How a theater company formed out of necessity inspired the community of Dublin, Ohio. I first sat down to speak with Michael Lincoln, who is Tantrum Theater's current artistic director, and he explained to me that before there was Tantrum, there was Monomoy Theater in Cape Cod. Pretty unexpected for a university based in southeastern Ohio, right? This is what OU thought too. Financial support for Monomoy Theater was withdrawn in 2014, which happened 60 years after Ohio University began leasing the space. But because OU was a university resident theater association school, another professional theater company had to take its place. So enter Tantrum Theater, which has since placed roots in areas across Ohio and is conveniently named after a group of bobcats. Dan Dennis, Tantrum Theater's founding artistic director, is here to talk about the process of what it's like to start a new theater company, especially one that is replacing the old. I remember in 2014 it was announced that um, there was this possibility and, and the question was asked to the faculty you know, in the School of Theater, is this something that you want to pursue? And people did want to pursue it. It seemed like a really interesting uh, opportunity and something that that we were excited that the college was interested in pursuing. Um, So really, it was a full year and a half of basically convincing the university that it it was a good idea um, to invest the money, essentially. Um, And then uh, as far as the season planning, the first season planning, then when we got the go-ahead, um, it, it came quite late. <laughs> yeah. So, so then it was a real rush to um, to make it all happen as quickly as we did. Hmm. Um, so I was artistic director with Tantrum for f- the first three seasons, and that amounted to I would say um, at least four years of work really wow. um, with Tantrum, and. Um, and I continue, when I gave that up, when I passed that on to, um, to my colleague, Michael Lincoln, um, 
I, I stayed on as a faculty member as well. So I was doing both of those things when I was um, artistic director. Wow. You've previously said tantrum was born because of a, quote, very interesting set of circumstances. <laughs> Can you expand a little bit more on what these interesting circumstances were? And I, I don't know specifically what I was talking about then. I don't know what that <laughs> quote is from, actually. But... Um, but uh, yeah, I can talk about what those circumstances were. Um, so the, um, the College of, of Osteopathic Medicine opened up a Dublin, Ohio campus. Mm. Um, I believe that they opened it up in 2014. And it was at this opening of that campus, um, and, and they continue to, to operate today. You know, mm -hmm. we still have a program that is Dublin-based mm -hmm. um, in um, osteopathic medicine. Um, but it was at that particular opening, the, the then dean of the College of Fine Arts, um, uh, she, was, she was there and um, was speaking with um, city of Dublin folks, um, people on the city council at, in the city of Dublin, and the mayor, um, who's a city council member, and, um, and folks working for the city um, outside of the council as well, and they actually approached her and said, you know, we're not just interested in medicine, you know, we're not just interested in the sciences. Sure. We really support art. And it's true, the Dublin community, um, you know, first of all, it's actually quite a wealthy community, perhaps one of the most wealthy in the state. Mm -hmm. And uh, so they have some money to spend as far as that goes. Um, the Dublin um, Arts Council as well is very active and well supported. And, uh, and so you'll find a lot of public art in Dublin. And they were very interested in um, in performing arts as well uh, within the community. Mm -hmm. And they had recently done a survey of citizens in the city of Dublin. Um, it's just on the northwest side of Columbus, in case our listeners don't know sure. <laughs> where exactly that is. Um, kind of exactly on the opposite side from where we are <laughs> to get there. Um, and that survey that they did at the time... Um, yielded results that the city, that the citizenry expressed that they were interested in uh, more live performance and that they, they were interested in music and in live theater. And so the, the approach was essentially, we're really interested in having a resident professional theater company in Dublin. Is that something that you might be interested in doing? And uh, wow, I mean, it, it, it seemed like a kind of an amazing offer. Yeah. Um, and really, it's not, that kind of thing doesn't just happen all the time. You know, it's sort of a once in a, I don't know, decade or once in a couple of decade kind of like offer that something mm -hmm. like that lands in someone's lap. So Tantrum made its home then in the Abbey Theater, which um, is in the Dublin uh, Rec Center. And um, there is a lot of theater and performing arts that happens in Columbus. Um, but as someone who had lived, uh, I mean, I've been in, in Athens now for 13 years. Mm -hmm. um, 
I don't get up to Columbus all that often, but I wasn't really aware of a lot of what the theater opportunities were. Um, I think there's a lot of very small companies, um, lots of community organizations, um, particularly in the suburbs, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, uh, I found that Tantrum was an opportunity to sort of um, coalesce people's efforts, um, our efforts, but also um, folks that were local to Columbus, as well as uh, within the state um, around creating professional theater. Mm. So um, we we put money into um, marketing our stuff, um, getting on the radio, um, really trying to promote that what we were doing was actually um, uh, based in the community, Mm -hmm. right? Um, A lot of times the the big professional shows that people hear about in Columbus and that people go to are touring shows. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's great. It's really great that we have the Ohio Theater there and, and, you know, Wicked comes through town, or you know whatever it is. Dear Evan Hansen, which is on tour right now, um, back at it um, since they paused for the pandemic, mm-hmm. um, and people go there, and 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 it's amazing. Um, and at the same time, where is the local work, right? Where where is the um, the opportunities for people um, who live in the Columbus area to actually? Um, do the art themselves and to sustain uh, a living, to sustain a life Mm -hmm. through making the performing arts. Mm -hmm. Rachel Cornish, who is joining us virtually all the way from Berlin, Germany, recalls what it was like to start in Dublin, all the challenges and the benefits as her time as Tantrum's founding producing director. Community outreach was really important to Rachel and Tantrum, and to be involved in the community, a variety of programs were put into place. Some of these programs removed the barrier of pay to make shows more accessible to the public, and some encouraged feedback from the community by holding after-show discussions and community script readings. Um, You know, we weren't uh, Dublin grown. We weren't sort of springing from their community. Here we were, this Ohio University. Yes, Ohio University has um, programs in Dublin, but not a theater program. Mm-hmm. And so here we were coming from Athens and kind of transplanting ourselves into Dublin. So we worked really hard to uh, make sure food that um, we wanted to be a part of their community. We wanted to have the dialogues that they were interested in having. If you're a medical student, or if you go to a if you go to a, a teaching hospital, um, almost all or many medical schools uh, have an affiliation with a teaching hospital. And you go to that hospital as a patient, and you are seen by um, people in that hospital right alongside of the professional doctors. Um, and so the model that you work in. Uh, uh, had worked in, in theater for a long time or has worked in theater for a long time is an apprenticeship model. And so mm-hmm. it's really important um, as you get into um, higher education that you're working directly alongside of professionals, um, if nothing else, for networking possibilities.
so comes chapter two the growing pains because they were in dublin nearly an hour and 40 minutes away from OU's main campus in Athens, Tantrum had to get creative. Uh, as a new entity at that time and also the School of Theater, you know, we were not uh, versed in touring. And basically what we were doing kind of was touring. We were only touring to one place, but nevertheless, um, you know, and, and just uh, it, we were doing three shows per summer so what people needed to go up to install the scenery and the lighting, what people needed to stay here to continue to build the next show, you know, all of those logistics and, you know, where they get housed and all of that um, made, it, made it pretty complex. Everything was built here in our shops, um, and, and I mean everything, costumes, scenery, uh, the lighting, uh, there the theater that we used was in the Dublin um, Community Recreation Center, which makes it sound like a gymatorium. It's a lovely theater, 200-seat theater, so similar, a little smaller, but similar in size to our main stage theaters here on campus. Um, and it had some equipment, but we took virtually all of the equipment uh, that we could uh, put in a truck for sound and lighting. Um, and then a whole other truck, and sometimes more than a full truck uh, of scenery. Um, and then smaller, maybe a van for costumes, uh, and then props fit in either with costumes or, or uh, scenery. Um, so there were multiple trucks, and just the f figuring out, okay, what's the load-in process? How long will it take to put these pieces of scenery into the theater, when can lighting start on their work, how much room is there in the theater for the costumes, because the theater backstage was very minimal. Um, there were two uh, um, dressing rooms, which, as I recall, only fit six people, and we did shows that had way more than that. So all these logistics, um, figured into very careful planning. But despite the challenges and the hardships that come with growth, Tantrum was really starting to prove itself as a powerful force. It gave students the chance to work with professional equity actors and not only learn about theater, but learn a lot about themselves. Sana Salomon, a 2017 OU theater grad, sat down with me to talk about what her life looked like post-graduation from theater school and how her involvement with Tantrum helped her to get to where she is today, living in Chicago and working for two different theater companies even throughout the course of the pandemic. Part of Sana's time with Tantrum was spent on its 2016 production of Little Shop of Horrors, which, if you don't know or aren't familiar with the show, is a horror comedy musical about a man who receives romantic advice from a giant man-eating plant. Sana played Chiffon, and she also served as dance captain. I know, it feels like it's been such a long time. It really hasn't, but it kind of has right. at the same time. Right. So it is what it is. <laughs> um, 
And now I uh, currently have um, two jobs. I have a full-time and a part-time. They're both in the theater realm. So I am an artistic assistant at Marriott Theater in Chicago. And I am also the executive director at Boho Theater in Chicago. So interesting time because one is a nonprofit. Uh, Boho is a nonprofit. And Marriott Theater is a union um, for-profit uh, commercial musical theater company so I get to kind of see a lot of models about like how theater is being made um and I get this fun stretch of you know trying to apply certain things I'm learning in one realm to the other realm and seeing when that does work or when it doesn't work I'm gonna ask you to reminisce a little bit um about your time as a theater student in the tantrum theater program and just talk to me a little bit about why um you wanted to go into the performing arts sure um, I think specifically with tantrum, it was this new thing because before that, I believe there was, um, someone is going to have to do a deep dive and get a better name for what I'm describing, but there used to be a theater that was like out on the East coast that people would do in like this summer repertory kind of style. Um, and because that had started, I believe it was like sold. And so that was no longer a, a kind of professional theater experience opportunity for students. I know Tantrum was being spoken about. So it was always kind of like heard in the rumblings of my year. So going into that summer before my senior year was the first, the inaugural season. Um, and we were hearing about stuff and we're like, well, I mean, it's just like any other general audition we've ever done. So, you know, might as well audition for something that is um, a union company. You can get points towards equity. Um, you get paid, obviously, which is super exciting. Um, so that was that was kind of like what was presented to us. So most of us are like, yeah, that sounds like that sounds like a great time. Behind the back stage, there were a couple great times. Um, one was as the urchins. Um, there's this nice moment if you know Little Shop, where we kind of come out, we're all like bedazzled and like decked out, and for whatever reason, they thought we needed. Um, to accentuate our curves. So we had some little like butt, like in like kind of tucked into our Sphinx. It was like little like butt implants and like hip implants to just give us more of an hourglass figure. And in one show, it was great because I won't name the person in case they listen to it, but one of us three, uh, we were leaning up against the wall and there are work lights backstage, which basically just like is like any office fluorescent light. And someone's extended hip and or butt area flipped it on in the middle of a show and we're like who did that where's that coming from and we're like oh it's because we can't feel anything right right Um, so that was quickly uh (laughs) you know figured out um i think there's another great time again between us urchins where uh we had to pass this like tin uh jar basically that we would like collect our supposed tips as being urchins and it would be passed from I was in the middle from one person to the other person (laughs) and one night someone you know the person handed it and we thought the other person who was supposed to receive it had a grip and so she didn't um and it dropped and it's tin so like it is loud yeah and it was a really quiet moment on stage as well and it was just it was so tense, but it just always became a thing of like, are you sure? <laughs> um, and so it actually, like, looking back on it, it's 
interesting to see where all of those webs have kind of gone because two of the main actors in that show, um, the person who played Seymour and also the person who played um, Audrey were both Chicago based. So when um, myself and also Kelsey Rodriguez, who is another person in the cast and in my grade, um, we were considering moving to Chicago, we were talking to them about their Chicago theater experience. Um, I think we also slept on like Sarah's who played Audrey's couch one time when we had to do an audition like your senior year. So it was so cool to like build those relationships. Um, and like even now at this point, like I uh, just saw Sarah perform a couple months ago at uh, Paramount Theater, which is another theater in Chicago. Um, and she was in Kinky Boots. And it was just like so great to be like, oh yeah, like I remember working with you and just kind of seeing where everyone ends up um, has been super fantastic. And it just reminds you that this community is so much smaller than you really think it is. And especially when you find the people who vibe with you and you can feel genuine with, it's, it's just a blast. Sana also shared with me some of the things that she didn't quite expect about post-grad life. I think the first thing that was super, uh, like a, a huge surprise was this kind of lack of um, knowing who I was. Like, I think, I don't know how this um, might parallel to other arts programs or anything that's so hyper-focused in one area, um, but I had applied to so many internships or apprenticeships and I just got none of them. And I was like, well, maybe this is a sign that, you know, I should just chill for like a year. Um, and luckily enough, my uh, whole family is from Columbus, Ohio. So I just moved back home um, and spent a year. I always knew I wanted to move to Chicago. So I decided I'm gonna spend a year, make as much money as I can, and then try and start my life off in Chicago on a little bit of a better foot, just so I can kind of take a couple months to feel out what it is I might be doing. And I feel like it really did take me about a year to just remember who I was as a person, um, especially because if you're not someone who is working all the time in a theater space, you have to know who you are. I mean, especially that type of art specifically to theater or acting, you have to be a person who has life experience to then pull from that life experience to bring that authenticity to like a role. Oh, so yeah. I've never gone through heartbreak. I need to experience it in some form to be able to generally accurately portray that. But I remember just sitting on my couch one day being like, oh, I have the whole day off. What do I even like to do with my day off? Do I still like reading? Should I go to a park? <laughs> like, it was just blank. Like, I just didn't know. So it felt like I developed more of my interests and hobbies from that first year. And then moving to Chicago, that was also kind of a a whirlwind. Um, but I felt more ready to take on a lot of um, what those things might look like because I also spent a lot of that year trying to like search about like what does the scene look like? Um, asking people if I could email them to ask questions. I think it's remarkable that so many people love answering emails um, and are so giving of their time um, because I also like voice and speech stuff. So I also was emailing, literally just Googling people in Chicago that did voice and speech. And I was like, hi, I don't know how to do this on like a potential freelance basis, but I'd love to learn. Do you mind answering questions for me? And I think everyone was like, yes, absolutely. I will give you whatever time, like, you know, you think you'd like. Chapter three is all about how Tantrum dealt with the pandemic. 
but unlike a lot of theater companies, Tantrum's lights didn't completely go out, they just dimmed a little bit. In order to keep creating, Tantrum pivoted to offer theater in a virtual way through a lot of different projects, one of which was Objects in the Mirror, a play that follows a Liberian refugee who comes to Australia. While it was originally slated to be on stage, Tantrum folks turned this show into a radio drama instead. And, you know, that was the beginning for us of, of the pandemic. And we were, I think, within about two weeks of the technical rehearsal process of objects. The, the set was not done, but well on its way, wow. being installed in the theater. Um, you know, costumes were, were mostly built. Everything was, you know, on schedule. Um, to do the normal process, and we had to shut down. Um, it took a little while um, to figure out, okay, what can we do? Um, and actually, it was uh, our producing director, Josh Coy's idea to turn it into a radio drama. Um, and because Objects uh, is Charles Smith's play, who was, um, was at the time a faculty member and is now also Professor Emeritus, um, we had to, you know, run it by him and see if that was an interesting idea. Um, and long story short, we were able to get everybody's permission to do that because one of the things about these kinds of things is you have to get the rights to broadcast them. Mm -hmm. It's a very different thing to broadcast something than it is to do it in a, uh, a theater where people have to come to see that show and generally uh, artists are because broadcast earns more money the artists are paid more money um, so we had to work out all those details um, but it was actually to our benefit that we just happened to be doing a production um, of one of our professors who you know was very game he's like yeah this is a great idea and it turned out really well yeah I was going to ask, um, were, when you decided to make this change, I mean, were people disappointed that it wasn't going to be on stage? Or was this really kind of an opportunity to be like, okay, let's you know put our best foot forward and, and really try and do something different? Yeah. Uh, and the answer is both. <laughs> um, there, the biggest disappointment uh, was for the production people because uh, a, a radio broadcast has nothing to do with production that you normally see on stage, um, except for sound. Um, and so, you know, we had hired a, a professional uh, scenic designer, um, and it turned out she was recommended by um, uh, the professional director who had directed the original production in Chicago. Um, but turned out she was an old friend of mine um, so you know we had to cancel um, her con well we canceled all the contracts except for the performers um, but the idea of at least we could produce it as a radio drama um, and give it to the community um, and and give those performers uh, the same experience, not the same experience, but an experience, um, 
that they had never had before um, was was terrific. And we, you know, we didn't know if it would turn out well, but it turned out very well. So we were we were really proud that we were able to pivot and do that. I mean. Theater is, uh, it's an all hands on deck Definitely. kind of activity. You know, even when you go see a solo show, um, if that person is, you know, if you're going to it in the theater, if you're not seeing someone just on the street or something, uh -huh. um, probably there is someone who has designed the lighting that you're going to see, that there is some kind of sound that has to be taken into account. Mm -hmm. um, they're obviously wearing clothes of some kind, most likely. <laughs> Um, yeah, so so theater in general, and certainly what we do in the School of Theater involves all of these different areas of design and production, um, and we have programs in all these areas. We have degree programs. Yeah. Um, so then translating that into um, the opportunity uh, for a, a professional experience mm -hmm. in each of these areas, that was really the goal for mm -hmm. us. Just walking through the costume shop for Tantrum's newest show, Natasha, Pierre, and the Great Comet of 1812, which we'll talk more about later, it was clear that putting on a show really does take a village. Throughout the course of the pandemic, Tantrum not only had the opportunity to flex their audio skills, but also their movie-making ones. During its 2021 production of Spring Awakening, they combined theater, film, and social media to tell the story about adolescent life in the sexually repressed world of 19th century Germany. Their show streamed in early April and was a unique blend of new artistry and modern components combined with a timeless theater classic. Another one of its pandemic projects was a virtual reading of Insulted Belarusia by Belarusian playwright Andrei Karajcik, who tells a powerful and tragic story of the Belarusian revolution after 26 years of dictatorship. Called a protest play, theater companies around the world performed Karajcik's work as a symbol of solidarity. I think this just really goes to show that even during the pandemic, Tantrum proved theater is for so many things, not just entertainment, but acts of social justice and social change. And these are values that students take with them after graduation. I got the executive director position in August of 2020. Um, so most of my pandemic in some way, or at least the way that I've been thinking about it, has been trying to create opportunities for other artists. And even though sometimes I, you know, really do want to be on stage or there are certain projects that I am just excited about, that was such a great way to, for me to be creative 
in helping other people feel like they like have that access to be creative. One of my favorite things, we actually, I kind of started this project with Boho before I had uh, interviewed for the position of uh, ED, um, but it was this virtual cabaret um, called The Pursuit of Happiness, a Boho Exploration of Freedom, because we are so bohemian. We have these four pillars um, that we kind of frame our work around, which is beauty, truth, freedom, and love. And so at the time, I really wanted to focus on um, BIPOC artists who, and the idea of freedom, especially during that summer of 2020. Um, and it was great. And my, my main purpose was like not to prescribe certain songs or monologues or anything to people. I was like, if we paid you a certain amount for like a three minute video, and the theme is like, what are your thoughts, feelings, um, interactions around freedom? What do you want to do? And it was so great to have these conversations, especially with actors who were everything's almost always prescribed unless you're doing a type of theater where you're organically making it the you know the lines are there the music is there the choreography is there and it was just great to work with people who are like I've never been asked that question but like this is exactly what I'd love to do and so we're like great whatever you feel comfortable doing that's what you should be doing our story today comes to a close with chapter four the future this is where I sat down with Josh Coy, Tantrum's current interim producing director, who discussed how Tantrum was bringing those founding values of community engagement that were so prominent in Dublin back home to Athens. Tantrum has joined with a lot of community partners to give back to the Athens community, including working with Passionworks, which is a collaborative community arts center, and the Ness Theater, a Columbus-based theater group, and Athens Middle School. In 2020, the Nest and Passionworks actually joined forces with Tantrum Theater and held a five-week improv workshop in October. Passionworks um, project came out of, I did a visit with some theater students over there, and um, they were discussing uh, previously how they had had some improv work and they really loved it and how they had all these like um, their artists are really engaged in that kind of uh, um, performance art and it, it sparked off just some ideas in my head um, I worked closely before with the folks at the Nest Improv Theater uh, in Columbus and they're fabulous and so I figured well that's another opportunity for a grant you know let's see if we can fund that and so for two years now we've had the Nest come down and do workshops um, they were able to be a little bit in person this last time. Uh, obviously, when COVID hit the first year, we had to change everything and go to like an online uh, format, uh, which is a bit of a bummer, but it still somehow worked. Um, it was pretty cool. Uh, and I hope to continue to do that. Um, the, the Nest is itself fantastic, but Passionworks, like, I don't know, there's like, there's so much love in that room and we've got to find a way where we can all get back on stage together. Um, which was ultimately the goal, right? Like we would we would have Passionworks like open for us or, you know, be on the stage together. And obviously um, the world has made that difficult at the moment, but we're, we're still planning to get there. Uh, the Athens Middle School piece, um, our, our education director, Rebecca Renoy, she applied for a grant for that as well, because, you know, we really were looking at the different ways in which the community needs help in theater education 
and the middle school itself does did not does not currently have any theater education. And as I understand it, there's some at the elementary uh, level, and there's also some at high school level. But um, there was this gap, and we've we've provided some workshops and um, like summer camps and and acting classes for students before. But we really wanted to like focus a little bit more and see if we could um, find a need that we could fill. Over fifty kids have applied and have have joined into this wow. like you know they were the, the enrollment is so big we had to split it in two right so uh, we're working with arts west on that uh, for the use of the space um so that's another partner we can work with um so really excited about that um some other things we're, we're working on uh i can't talk about just quite yet but uh we have one or two other projects in the works One of these in the works projects is Tantrum's upcoming play, which centers around Mount Zion Baptist Church. Tantrum received a $10,000 grant from the National Endowment for the Arts for this project, and the play will focus on the historical experience of living in the Black community of Athens. First started with Tantrum in 2019, there was uh, an idea sort of on the table to do um, a uh, commission that we that you know tantrum had not done any really new works yet and that was still simmering right when i when i started um but this was also the time when tantrum had just moved to to back to the main campus um so there was a lot going on um so it it sort of was put on the back burner for for a few months um and then what i what i sort of arranged was let's keep going with this but let's let's find funding for it um, and the, the, we got, we had a great grant from the, um, National Endowment for the Arts, uh, to support the commission, which is, you know, really an honor. Um, so then we were able to start basically the next summer. Um, we have someone writing this and, and honestly, we can't give too many details. Sure. Um, but, uh, we, we have a play being written that is, has ties to the local community. Um, we worked with Mount Zion on this because we wanted to, we, we we did want to have that connection with the community be genuine. You know, we didn't, we didn't want to just uh, produce something and then tell the community, like, here's this thing we did about you. Mm-hmm. Uh, we wanted the community to be a part of it. And we were really interested in what Mount Zion had going on um, with, you know, their attempts to, to, you know, turn the old church into, you know, more of like a community space. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been fabulous to work with. The The amount of history and stories and personalities in that organization are wonderful. Um, really great people to work with and super helpful in helping us sort of navigate what's important um, to, to the telling of the story. Um, and so when the, when the piece was commissioned, it, it takes, you know, several months to write, obviously about half a year, really. And um, throughout that time, we've had meetings where the playwright could um, speak with uh, the folks at Mount Zion and, and ask questions, probing deeper into local history and, and gathering uh, cool details to maybe include in the play. Um, and also the, the, the folks from Mount Zion and Tantrum staff would read the document and, and give feedback, essentially. Um, we're coming up on a uh, internal staged reading, like the first time the play will be read. Um, um, just to get a feel for it. This is just sort of the process of a new work is, you know, hearing it uh, after it's been sort of finished is really as important. Um, so we're that'll happen right at the end of February. So we're really excited about that. That'll be the last time we really get a chance to 
um, to talk about it and discuss if there are any changes needed uh, for the playwright to really get a sense of where things are headed and if she wants any changes in it. And then from there, it's go time. Um, it'll be produced next, you know, fall. And uh, it, it'll it come out right around Thanksgiving, the week before and the week after. Um, so there's a lot to do between now and then. We're already talking about designers we want to hire, the actors we might hire, those kind of things. Like, that's already happening. More recently, though, Tantrum has been working all semester to put on the premiere production of Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812, since the rights for the show first became available. Plus, the show was written by OU alumni Dave Malloy. The big lesson that I think everybody has learned um, from the producing and artistic side is, you know, accessibility is a good thing. If, 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 you, if they weren't paying attention already, I hope folks are now. But, you know, being, there, are, there are some uh, restrictions from being able to share things on video and online, like great comment because of rights restrictions. We can't, we can't, you know, live stream that show. Um, but um, when we can, we should uh, is, is kind of where I, I'm sitting at. Like, you know, there are people, um, especially in as broad a region as we might be able to be covering in, in you know, the, the um, southeastern Ohio region that, you know, maybe you can't make it into a show, but you'd still like to see it. Or, you know, like uh, people with with little kids, you know, like, OK, I can't make it to the theater, but I can at least you know, watch it online after the kids go to bed. Like that's still a great opportunity, right? Yeah. Um, you know, with Great Comet, we had to we had to delay that by a year. You know, we 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 postponed it um, because we would be, have been doing it this time last year. This year, obviously, we still have some uh, hills to climb to to make sure that we're being safe and that we can, um, you know, properly present this production in in a safe venue for everyone. Um, but in the two years that we've done this, we've we've proven that we've got great um, policies and procedures to to keep people safe. Um, it's going to be fantastic to see a musical again in the theater, right? Definitely. Um, our, our, our first jump back into theater was Men on Boats last year, which is comedic, and that was fun, and it was just the right size for what we could pull off at the time, I think, and what what people were ready for. And I think we're we're on the other side of that a bit now. I, I think, you know, people are really starved for theater again. And uh, we hope that, you know, this show, not only because it's a Broadway show and, and Dave Malloy is a local alum, but like there's a lot of there's a lot of joy in going to see a musical. Right. And we just want we want that to happen. Um, so we're doing our best to present uh, the show in as high quality manner as we can um, so that we can share that joy with other folks. Thank you for listening to this episode of Talking Studio. For more information on OU's Tantrum Theater and upcoming shows, check out the show notes. And to listen to more episodes of Talking Studio, find the podcast series on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. This has been your host, Emma Skidmore. Until next time.